Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about last week's episode discussing the coronavirus, how it started, the pandemic and asking how did we get to where we are today. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on our Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be asking how do you cocoon, cocooning or shielding? What are the main concerns or considerations for those who have to stay indoors for this period of time? And as part of the measures introduced to try to help the reduce the spread of COVID-19 across the Republic of Ireland, the government here said that all of those over the age of 70 or who are extremely medically vulnerable, that they should cocoon until the 12th of April. But what does that actually mean for people? Well, joining us to discuss is Patricia Rickard-Clark, who's the chair of Safeguarding Ireland. Um, Just first of all, Patricia, for listeners, you might just outline what is your role in Safeguarding Ireland in, in all of this? Uh, well, we were set up in December 2015 and really our main aim is to promote safeguarding of adults who may be vulnerable. And obviously vulnerabilities are very heightened at this time. But we are a representative body of a number of organisations, both public and private regulators, NGOs and whatever. And I suppose our main aim is really public awareness about um, adults at risk and also to try and promote the enactment of uh, adult safeguarding legislation. We have a huge gap in Ireland. We don't have any adult safeguarding legislation at the moment. And the bill was introduced in uh, uh, February 2017 in the Senate by Senator Colette Kelleher. Uh, and we're hoping that that bill will be carried over and more work done on it to achieve um, enactment of legislation. OK. Um, the idea of cocooning, I suppose it was kind of sort of an, an unusual term when people first heard it, mooted back um, about three weeks ago at this stage, Patricia. But just what exactly does this mean? What are we asking people to do? Well, we're asking people uh, to stay at home as far as possible. But in relation to the cohort of people that we are concerned with, say, um, over 70s, not all people over 70 are vulnerable. I hasten to add that. Many people have been very active. But obviously, um, people over uh, older age are at a higher risk of um getting this virus. So obviously cocooning means staying at home, not interacting. And also the two uh, kil- kilometre distance, mm. I understand, is to try and keep, uh, if there's a spread of the virus, to keep it local, not to be spreading it to other areas. So it's important that we do abide uh, by those issues. But obviously uh, it gives rise to other issues as well in terms of potential isolation, uh, potential heightening of um People who are vulnerable may be susceptible to scams or abuse. Uh, So really important from our point of view that people understand, um, you know, if they're entering into arrangements or whatever, the risks about those. Yeah. I I want to ask you kind of specifically about some of those um, arrangements and and particularly in the financial side of it um, in a moment, Patricia. But I just want to pick up on something you mentioned there. I mean, the idea of asking people, 70 isn't old. Uh, You know, when people are in in the the best of health at 70 years of age. But obviously you know, we, we need to reduce the number of people out and about and on the street and, and all of us are being asked to, to to stay at home in as much as we can. 
it can be an, an isolating time and a very lonely time for people, especially if somebody maybe is widowed or they're living alone or their family might be away at the moment or living down the country and they can't travel to see people. I mean, what, what are you hearing from people? Uh, well, we we are not at direct operational level, but we hear from our members. And there is a level of isolation. But again, we in Safeguarding Ireland, in terms of the advice we give, is that uh, we're all being told to contact uh, people who are compulsory have to stay at home. But even people themselves, as you say, very active 70-year-olds, should be contacting other people and their friends and keeping that contact going. And, you know, the last week or so, people have a garden to get out into the garden uh, and do things like that. And... um, so to keep active and uh, to read, uh, you know, play music, all of that. We're not used to finding ourselves being confined in, in that way. Uh, but at the same time, it is really important that we keep our mental health uh, very well. And uh, many people, thankfully, uh, over the age of 70 are very well. So they should uh, keep that in mind and, and keep active in mentally uh, if they can't do so as much physically at the moment. Now, we talked about just a few moments ago some of the difficulties people have with this and there would be a lot of concern for people but I'm just thinking, you know, instantly of um, pensioners who maybe have to get their pension, old age pension, widow's pension. What are the kind of terms or conditions that are in place for people at the moment to help them? Yes, well... Um as we know, uh, over 60% generally of pensions are paid into bank accounts, but there's a large 30% who, again, many of those over the age of 65 or whatever age they're entitled to their pension, certainly over the age of 70, uh, are out socially active, collect their pension. And now they're being cocooned, they're obliged to stay at home. And the Department of Social Protection has stated that people can appoint what is known as a temporary agent to collect their pension during this time of the COVID-19 virus. Now, that is fine in some ways. Um, it means that a person who has decision-making capacity can nominate somebody, um, an agent, to collect their pension. And the department, in normal circumstances, if you're unable to collect your pension, they have a temporary arrangement and it's in place and you, they make five payments in a six-month period. The department have now said they're extending uh, to 15 payments. Now, Safeguard in Ireland um, absolutely supports uh, the facility being given to over older people, but at the same time, uh, our advice to um, people who are in receipt of their pension to keep control as far as possible. So if I can point out a few points. For example, mm-hmm. for those people who haven't, uh, who do have not an arrangement in place to uh, have their pension go into their bank account, they should do so. That should be the first priority before appointing an agent to collect their pension. Because if it goes into their bank account, they can have control over that and they see the payments going in uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so that would be important. Uh, then if they are appointing uh, an agent to again, um, the, the, it, the arrangement is that the agent that is appointed or nominated brings the person's public uh, service card to the post office with them and identifies themselves. It's important that the pensioner uh, does get back that card after each collection. Really, really important. They're keeping control. The other thing is that they know exactly what pension is to be collected and that they get the full pension back from the agent when the agent returns with it. 
they know, they ask when is the agent going to collect that pension so they know when to expect to receive that pension. If they're then asking the agent to do some shopping, you know, when they collect the pension uh, to make sure they get receipts. And from the agent's point of view, really important for their own safeguard mm. that there's full accountability in, in relation to that. So, um, again, uh, really, really important. The other issue in terms of the form that has to be completed, it says after the temporary period, uh, a person can then apply for a permanent um, agent to be appointed. Uh, again, Safeguard in Ireland would caution against that, say there must be a full review because this is there's no particular date. Obviously, it, it, it is intended that this particular arrangement would come to an end at the end when we've got out of this particular crisis. But at the same time, really important that a person who is older uh, does not give up control. A recent survey that Safeguard in Ireland did, um, this leads on to another question. Um, over 30, a third of the Irish population think that their family member, an extra of kin, can make decisions on their behalf. And another 28% uh, didn't know what the situation was. In practice, we know for many, many years, people think they can make decisions on behalf of a person, even if when they have capacity, but if a person is old and frail. So really important that anybody who appoints a temporary agent, yeah. they're very aware it's for a temporary period. And again, we would be asking the department and the department are a member of our organisation uh, that there is a full review at the end of that. Uh, the other issue then about finances, and I talk about paying bills and money, collecting yeah. money, buying shopping. Again, Safeguard in Ireland would say um, it's a time again, uh, you know, people do they give their own, their bank card or whatever to somebody, very important that they don't really, that insofar as possible that they actually would say if they need prescription or chemist or shopping, that they contact the shop and pay online and then ask the family member or the neighbour or whatever to pick up the shopping or the... Well, or the it's, it's interesting, Patricia, you, you, you mentioned that and you've just raised something that I, 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 I thought of myself recently where if somebody is doing, you know, offers just by way of help or assistance to do the shopping for um, somebody that's cocooning at the moment or, you know, maybe an, an elderly neighbour or a family member... Um, and they're running up to the shop and ask them if they want something and, you know, you, you, you go down and the neighbour leaves or the family member leaves some money out for you to do the shopping. You know, you come back with the change and the receipt. I mean, you don't, even for the person that's just obliging or helping out, I'm, I'm just thinking that you don't actually have any comeback or, you no, know what I mean? No, no, no. So it's important for both parties uh, that whatever arrangements are in place, it's, uh, what I'm saying is, that the last resort should be nominating somebody. Now, I, I see also in the last number of days that Bank of Ireland have issued, um, again, a form to be completed, a cocooning arrangement. And again, I would say for banks uh, that the... And they, they've, some of them have special numbers that people can ring. Again, it's really important that perhaps rather than appointing somebody to operate your bank account, that you actually then get in touch with the bank and arrange for payments. So the last resort should be these nominated forms and arrangements that really uh, there isn't uh, much control over if something goes wrong. And even in that kind of an ad hoc situation, Patricia, where you have maybe somebody just helping out a neighbour, you know what I mean, at, at, at this particular time for the next couple of weeks, I mean, even at that level, should 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 the homeowner or the person that's over 70 that's at home now, should, they probably really need to contact their bank and put some kind of an yes, arrangement. Yes, yeah. so that's, what we, yeah, that's okay. what we would say, that really uh, banks now on their websites have numbers 
uh, for people who can make contact. And I would say that should be the first uh, port of call uh, to help everybody out in, in this. And then, and again, for utilities, again, to pay the utility bills, but contact the utilities. Now, a lot of utilities uh, will then ask you to pay online or whatever. Some people are not good at uh, paying online. And that is where, again, you revert to your bank. You can ring your bank and arrange uh, again uh, to, for the bank to make the payments. Even if you put in a temporary standing order uh, that can be then accounted for at the end mm. of the time, uh, better than actually you know, dealing with cash at this time and uh, money, you know, trying to uh, tell people. And sometimes when people go for shopping, uh, you know, the the particular item isn't there, whatever. But if they've contacted the shop or whatever, many people who shop, uh, the shopkeeper knows who they are, the chemist knows who they are. So arrangements can be put in place that way and it should be facilitated. Then it's all documented. Absolutely, yeah, because I'm just thinking that myself for people I know that are kind of helping out other people that, you know, they may not have thought that I mean, if something you know, you know that it's it's your word, I suppose, against theirs. If you, indeed, you yeah, indeed, especially if indeed. you're dealing with cash. So for the safeguarding of both, but particularly yeah. for older people, yeah, yeah, where you know they 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 and they're afraid to ask and uh, whatever. Now I would say for pensions, uh, if there's any query about their pension or whatever, they should contact. Um, LIGO, it's uh, the Department of Social Protection, 071-915-7100. Really, really important. Um, and that uh, the, the, the department have, again, a vulnerable customers unit well used to dealing with all of these issues. So really important. Um, but again, uh, if there's any issue, it's really the banks now... Um, I know they're helping out with mortgages and they're slowly coming around in terms of the paying of the bills and everything. But again, contact your bank. Many people have a bank account. Uh, so rather than adding a name to a joint account or appointing a person under one of these new arrangements, really arrange through the bank to pay directly. And then you're keeping control and you know exactly uh, what money you're mm. coming in, your pension yeah. is coming into your bank account and your payments are going out. What about nursing homes, Patricia? What's your advice for people that maybe at this stage or maybe some of the facilities, the self-isolation facilities that are opening for people uh, that maybe aren't in a position to self-isolate in their own home? What's your advice for people in those cases? Uh, Well, again, um, that's very challenging, particularly where in nursing homes you have a high number of people with dementia. Um, and it's very difficult for them. It's strange seeing people in gowns, etc. I'm not the best best person because, again, I wouldn't have practical experience. So, you know, uh, um, uh, but uh, again, in terms of uh, keeping in contact, sending the card, uh, you saw yesterday in the paper or whatever, uh, a gentleman celebrating his 50th uh, wedding anniversary coming to the window to his wife, you know, really important um, even if you can't get into the room or whatever uh, in some particular cases obviously people can't visit uh, only one person but it's very important that the staff and whatever and very important for the staff as well they're in very difficult circumstances that again the mental health of all of these people Mm. really important Uh, if I could say one other uh, Mm -hmm. issue in terms of just decision making um, again uh, we heard, um, I mentioned next of kin there earlier, and again, this, uh, I suppose, uh, culture or myth that we have that next of kin can make decisions. Uh, there was an announcement, research will be done uh, for people who have uh, COVID-19 uh, um, in terms of um, talking to people, and if people can't give consent, the next of kin will be asked. Um, we have no... Uh, 
arrangement, no legal arrangement, whereby an ex of kin can give consent for such things. So it's really important. Um, you know, we have, um, say, for clinical trials, uh, the EU health regulations would say that is your legal representative uh, can give consent if the person can't give consent themselves. So it's really important, but in terms of general research, uh, uh, an extra kin cannot give consent. Uh, so unless the person has, say, uh, a person who they appointed as their uh, enjoying power, under an enjoying power of attorney or whatever, the next of kin do not have uh, the authority to give consent. Okay. So really important, again, in terms of the whole decision-making, we have our Assisted Decision-Making Capacity Act, which was enacted in 2015, uh, not yet fully commenced. Uh, the Office of Director of Decision Support Service was set up in 2016, but it's, the act hasn't been fully commenced. Big gap again in our legislation, uh, but that will deal with the whole question of consent. But in Today, we haven't got some of those arrangements in place except an EPA. And again, under an EPA, you can't give consent for healthcare decisions under the current legislation. So really important that people understand that. Okay. Just finally, um, Patricia, for anyone that might want to get in contact with yourselves or they want to get more information about some of the items we've discussed today, where can they get that? Uh, On our website, which is www.safeguardianireland.org and as well as uh, various... um, information and resources. Uh, There are also telephone lines. There's also details of um, access to the National Safeguarding Office and the HSC Safeguarding and Protection Teams. There are nine teams around the country. There would also be uh, information about keeping control of your finances and the Banking and Payments Federation details as well. Uh, And indeed, as I already mentioned, the Department of Social Protection. So really important uh, that people, there's a lot of resources there in terms of literature and documentation, uh, but really important that people do uh, keep control of their own affairs and safeguard themselves as far as possible. And in doing so, they're safeguarding the people that they're asking the, to assist them as well. So really important. Patricia Rickard clark who's the Chair of Safeguarding Ireland, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, you're very welcome back to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're discussing cocooning. What are the main concerns or considerations for those who have to stay indoors during this coronavirus restrictive measure period? Well, joining us on the line to discuss is uh, Ty Daly, who's the chief executive of Irish, the Irish Nursing Homes Organisation. Um, Ty, just first of all, can I just get you to explain to people what exactly this is? I mean, obviously, some people have been cocooning for the past number of days, but what this means... Well, in essence, uh, it was mentioned by the Taoiseach a number of weeks ago. So what it means is, is people, uh, I suppose, staying in isolation and, and not mixing with, with uh, either other family members uh, and are particularly anxious that people over 70 would cocoon. But obviously in the nursing home sector, uh, given the care needs of residents, uh, that can be quite challenging because many of the residents would obviously need uh, assistance with activities of daily living and personal care. So just explain for us at the moment, I mean, if somebody tag is already in a nursing home setting, um, you know, they would be governed, I suppose, by the, the um, I don't want to say regulations, but yes, they obviously yeah, yeah. T- yeah, take part in what's happening within the, the nursing home setting on a daily basis. Um, pro- is, there, is there much change now? 
Well, there's, there's been very little change, really, because obviously in the nursing home sector we're looking after uh, what could be regarded as the most vulnerable and, and those most at risk. So um, the, the regulations still apply. There's been no um, softening or derogation in terms of the HICWA regulations. However, the reality now is that uh, the priority is ensuring the safety and welfare, obviously, of both residents and staff. Um, and, you know, the current challenges are, are, are very significant for the nursing home sector, and we welcome the commitment now of the Minister during the week, I suppose, to um, enhance measures to support uh, nursing homes as we, as we are challenged by, by the current COVID-19 crisis. What are the challenges that you face? Well, I suppose there's three areas in particular, uh, you know, staffing, uh, access to equipment, uh, and then there's a whole funding element. I mean, in terms of staffing, uh, the significant delays at the moment in terms of testing and the results. Uh, so what we have now is staff who may be showing some symptoms uh, and they're waiting for a period for the res- test result to come back. And in that case, uh, staff are out for a period. So it means that uh, for a lot of nursing homes now, they are finding it very difficult to ret- retain uh, staff who would ordinarily be at work. Uh, we also have a challenge with the HSE who are recruiting uh, fairly aggressively, I might add, uh, despite the fact that uh, the Minister and indeed the HSE talk about this being a national effort. Um, the, ex- the second element that I mentioned was the whole area of, of PPE, and obviously that's well flagged across the entire sector. But again, uh, we're finding it very, very difficult. And we've seen, for example, where suppliers are supplying only to the HSE And uh, for many nursing homes, they're either exhausting their existing stocks or indeed if they have a a suspect case, they may be using uh, extra stocks of PPE when it mightn't be necessary if if the testing and the testing results were expedited, for example. So at the moment, um, I mean, I, I know there's obviously a delay in terms of um, getting test results and that's something that's been well flagged throughout the week. I know that obviously about a quarter of the number of cases we have so far are deemed to be healthcare workers. So you, you, you think obviously the fast tracking of or prioritising of healthcare workers and receiving their tests will help to alleviate that? Absolutely. And I mean, I think uh, last week, uh, Dr. Holland did mention that the reprioritization uh, and that is absolutely essential uh, because we're expecting in the next couple of weeks, weeks based on public health advices, uh, that this is going to escalate even further. And uh, what we need to do is ensure we have the full complement of staff at the ready to be able to support both the nursing home sector and indeed the wider health service. So if we, if we have a huge backlog in testing and test results, it is going to have a very serious and significant impact on our ability to maintain service continuity. What is the day-to-day life like now in nursing homes, Ty, mm. for instance, for people that are obviously cocooning? Yeah, look, it is challenging. I mean, as an organisation, Nursing Homes Ireland, we made an announcement on the 6th of March to restrict visitors. And that was done, I can assure you, with a very heavy heart because we realised that, you know, maintaining social connectedness and maintaining connection with family is a huge part because nursing home care is obviously nursing care, but it's also social care. Um, so what we're trying to do in the nursing home sector is, is maintain life in as much as possible and as normal as possible. Uh, for some residents who have dementia, for example, they may not uh, fully understand what's going on around them. Uh, but equally, um, what we're trying to do is through the activities program, uh, through the staff. I mean, the staff in the nursing home sector know these residents very, very well. You know, they're working yeah. with them 24-7. So we're trying to, as I say, keep, keep life as normal as possible. And we also have engaged with school children right across the country who are writing in letters. Um, and obviously FaceTime uh, technology, such as Skype, etc., is assisting greatly in maintaining that, that connectedness. But it is challenging, there's no doubt about it. And the longer it goes on, the, <clears throat> the more difficult it will become, obviously. 
for for people that maybe have a loved one or a family member or a parent or aunt or uncle, you know, or grandmother in um in a nursing home at the moment, and maybe they're you know maybe there isn't an outbreak or there isn't a cluster in that particular um facility at the minute. But for people that are concerned, I mean, what's kind of your advice to people? Obviously, I'm sure it's don't visit in the first instance. Well, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, that that is that is the advice is, is not to visit. But what I'd say to people is, you know, uh, we need to keep positive. Uh, obviously, it is a very, very challenging environment. I mean, we've seen significant uh, deaths right across the world. Uh, thankfully, at the moment, we're in you know relatively low numbers. But we we do need to keep positive and um, uh, you know shine the light, as it were, rather than cursing the darkness. Um, so I'd say to, to families is you know stay in touch with the with, with your family members in the nursing home, but stay in touch with the the, the 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 staff who run it as well. You know, as I say, by FaceTime. And if there are any issues. You know, the staff will make contact with families, obviously. And uh, I suppose I'd say to people, not to, not it is concerning, uh, but by the same token, you know, staff are, are uh, very, very busy at the moment and uh, they need the support of the public at large to ensure that they can continue what they do best, which is to look after uh, the family members in their in their care. I want to go back to that point you mentioned as well, uh, Ty, just about staffing and, and resources across nursing homes at the moment. Mm. Have all of the nursing homes, whether they're private or public, I mean, I presume the private nursing homes are still run, running as private facilities or have they kind of been taking over, uh, taken over by the HSE mm. now? No, it's still, they're, they're still, I mean, I suppose the fair deal uh, that we've spoken of before on, on your programme, Andrea, uh, has equalised that system anyway. So while they're run by public or run by private, in effect, the funding mechanism is, is a statutory scheme of state support. Um, so the vast majority of nursing homes in the country are either run by the, the private and voluntary sector. So uh, it, it is, it is uh, different to the, the, the private hospitals where they have, in effect, been, I suppose, nationalised, for the want of a better word, uh, in respect of the next couple of months but um, we are working very, very closely, as we always have done with the Department of Health and, and the HSE. I mean, from, from in my mind, you know, the residents and indeed families are not too uh, concerned about what name is over the door, or who, who, who the ownership is, whether it is public, private or voluntary. What they're concerned about is the care within the, the four walls. And that's something that we in Nursing Homes Ireland and our members are very, very strongly committed to. About how much of a shortage do you think you have at the moment, Tyg, in terms of the level of staffing that you're, 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 you know, you're, you're going to need to try and get through through this pandemic? Assuming, like in every organisation, I mean, people, um, people will get sick from this. Yeah, it, it is. Look, it, it is a moving target, to be honest with you. I'd say at the moment it's more not short staffed. I suppose we're stretched. I suppose at this point in time, um, because obviously the sector would have a large number of staff anyway. Uh, but we are very much stretched by the fact that. Uh, a significant number are either uh, out sick uh, or awaiting testing. Um, so that's why we launched our own recruitment drive uh, a number of weeks ago, nhirecruitment.ie. Uh, and I suppose we're, we're appealing to people maybe from the hospitality or the retail sectors who may have unfortunately lost their jobs to consider working in the nursing home sector, uh, either as carers or maybe working uh, in the kitchen or indeed cleaning. So there's, there are significant opportunities there. Uh, we are struggling because... Um, the HSE are obviously uh, recruiting as well uh, and the point we've made in terms of the Ireland on call um, initiative by the, H- by the HSE was that, that it should be that it should be Ireland on call not the HSE on call because we need a national approach to this Yeah you uh, need resources our, we need resources to, to share it everywhere our, our concern is that you know if, 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 if the HSE are in effect poaching staff from the nursing home sector it has a negative impact on the ability of the sector to maintain people in, in what is their own home. Well I suppose people will voluntarily put themselves forward for those positions themselves. 
Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, look, you know, I mean, again, it gives me an opportunity to, to pay a tribute to the staff in the sector. And we've had, you know, lots of people contacting us and contacting individual members in Nursing Homes Ireland over the last number of weeks to offer assistance, uh, offer meals. So, like, the, look, the, the public, as we know, on the Irish uh, population are legendary for their hospitality. Uh, and uh, at this time of, of national crisis, we need to put aside all of the, the silos effectively and work for the common good. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in, Tyke, is that, you know, there might be somebody listening today that maybe is working in, you know, the hospitality sector that has, you know, lost their job at the moment due to the pandemic. They might be looking, you know, for some kind of employment over the course of a short term next couple of week period. Yes. I mean, what's the concerns for people who decide, OK, I might take you up on your, on your offer, go and get a job for the next few weeks in terms of, you know, now their own health and the home setting that they might be then returning to and trying to limit the risks there? Well, I mean, in, infection control is a huge issue in, in any healthcare setting, but particularly in nursing homes. I mean, our members uh, in nursing homes Ireland deal with, you know, the winter flu or the, the winter vomiting bug on a, on a pretty much an annual basis. Now, obviously, what we're dealing with in this current pandemic is a much more virulent strain and one that, that, that there isn't a, a, a virus for um, which is obviously very challenging. Uh, so what we what we have ensured is that uh, you know following good hand hygiene, for example, coughing etiquette, and then also the the provision of of PPE is critically important. So that's why uh, we have been engaged with the HSE to make sure that the supplies that are coming into the country are made available to all healthcare workers, irrespective of their location. So you know we we say to people the the upside of working with older people will far outweigh the, the challenges. It is a challenging working environment, uh, but it's also a very rewarding working environment and to see the the joy and the uh, um, on the faces of older people uh, I know it keeps all of us going and particularly it keeps the staff going on a daily basis Is there anybody that I don't want to say that you don't want but I mean are there people perhaps maybe who are retired or maybe themselves of an underlying health condition but Mm. they have lost their job at the minute maybe they're thinking of trying to look for something they're trying to get back into the workforce Yeah I suppose look people with underlying conditions obviously you know are, are most definitely at risk um, and you know, um, I've seen doctors recently coming back to work. One doctor in particular who said he had a heart condition. Uh, now he makes his own decision, obviously, in terms of coming back to work. But yes, I think you know we need to be prudent as well, uh, and 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 um, you know, uh, I suppose not over cautious, but definitely cautious in terms of of um, people making themselves available for work. And anybody with an underlying condition, or indeed anybody that that, that is symptomatic, obviously uh, going into a nursing home in, environment uh, would not be appropriate. Have you any idea, roughly, Tyke, how many staff you kind of need in terms of a, a, looking at it from a numbers perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, we did a, a survey a number of weeks ago and we were up on over 600 people is what we what we required. Uh, and I would imagine that's probably gone much higher now because it isn't necessarily new roles. While there are some new roles there, uh, the, the majority would be replacement in terms of people, as I say, who, who can no longer work because of maybe contracting the virus or having symptoms. Uh, so that's the big issue for us at the minute. So uh, I would, uh, at this point in time, uh, it's probably well over 600 people that will be required, even in the, in, the, in the short to medium term. And obviously as the, I suppose, crisis unfolds and as the pandemic unfolds, that may even rise higher because if you have people in the nursing home sector, we're fortunate in the, in the private sector in terms of having the majority in single rooms. Uh, so in terms of isolating somebody, that, that can be achieved quite quickly. Uh, but the issue there is then you almost need uh, one staff member for, for every individual. So the staffing numbers will probably rise significantly over the next number of weeks, and that's going to put significant pressure on the nursing home in terms of staffing, but also in terms of, of funding.
The clusters are, are a real problem and that's something that um, the Chief Medical Officer uh, Ty Tony Hoolan has talked about in um, in both nursing homes and also in, in other kind of like hospital or institutional yeah. settings. I mean, is, I presume that's why they're trying, trying to keep people down to single rooms is, is of a priority at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. And healthcare settings by their very nature are obviously at high risk and susceptible. Uh, what we are trying to do and our members have been trying to do for the last um, month or six weeks now at this stage is ensure that all the necessary precautions are in place to try and keep the keep the, the virus out of any individual nursing home. But because it's so pervasive in the community, that is very challenging because, you know, we have a situation, for example, whereby residents are being discharged from hospital into nursing homes. Um, you know, they could be vectors of the, of the, uh, the virus and also staff who are maybe going home and going shopping on the way home. They could also be a potential vector. So we need to minimise all of those risks um, but it is very very challenging For people listening Ty that maybe want to get in contact um, with yourselves or maybe feel that they're in a position to you know to apply or put themselves forward for a position do you do that through Ireland the Ireland Call HSE site or where do you do that No we we established our own portal uh, last week and um, if you go onto our website uh, nhi.ie or indeed nhirecruitment.ie uh, you'll see a pop-up on our own website so uh, they can make contact on how this works is that they can put in, I uh, suppose, their skill set really, whether it's catering or caring or cleaning, uh, and they will be directed then to our list of members na- na- nationwide, and then they can pick uh, the location of their choice and their, upload their CV, and their CV will go direct to the local nursing home. So uh, it's, a, it's a, 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 a very useful portal from that point of view. So we would appeal to people who are thinking of going working in the sector, either short or long-term, uh, to log on to nhi.ie. I mean, funny, somebody raised the point with me the other day. Do people need to renew or double-check their guard the vetting if they're going back into the workplace? Uh, they have to get a new one, in fact, would you believe, Andrea? Yeah, which is um, something, again, uh, which is challenging at the moment. But uh, to be fair to the, the National Vetting Bureau, uh, they are turning around the applications in, in exceptionally quick time. So uh, that shouldn't be a huge issue. Uh, but they do have to get a new a new vetting, yeah, and... Uh, uh, we, ha- we also have that service in Nursing Homes Ireland and we're turning some of them around in 24, 48 hours at the oh, moment. Right, so, okay. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're also working with the HSE on um, some carers who are now working in the community. Um, some of those would be obviously um, very valuable because they, ha- they have training in terms of manual handling and CPR and they would also have been guarded prior. So um, I think at this stage, what we're trying to do is ensure that the- we have the right people as I say, uh, in the right place at the right time. And I think that's one of the points too, is that, I mean, a, a lot of people are now being redeployed. Is that the case? Yeah, there is a significant redeployment ongoing. And, and um, uh, I suppose what we're trying to do is, in, in consultation with the department and the HSE, is target the resources we have uh, where the particular issues are. And clearly, uh, care of the older person in public, private and voluntary uh, is an area that needs significant focus uh, and significant investment both in terms of human and financial resources. Okay, Tyg, we leave it there for the moment. My thanks to Tyg Daly, who's the Chief Executive of the Irish Nursing Homes uh, Organisation. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, you're very welcome back to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're discussing cocooning 
or shielding. We're asking what are the main concerns and considerations that those who have to stay indoors for this period of time are currently experiencing. Well, joining us to discuss is Professor Anne Kenny, who's the Head of Medical Gerontology at Trinity College Dublin and also the Principal Investigator for TILDA, the Irish um, Study on Ageing. Uh, Rose, first of all, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. Um, can I just ask you, first of all, for your view about this measure that's been put in place over the past week or so, asking people over the age of 70 to cocoon? Well, um, certainly there... Uh, I, I, first of all, I would like to say that I think Ireland's approach to this has been much more inclusive um, than other approaches. Uh, I, we, we, I, of course, 70 was chosen as a number, um, and there's a lot of language that has uh, come with that, and if you like baggage, in that it's uh, almost assumed that once you reach a certain age, you become a homogenous group and everybody is the same. And it's, it's absolutely not the case, of course. Uh, when we hit 30, we don't refer to people 30 and above as a certain group or 50 and above as a certain group. So uh, assuming that people, because they've reached 70, are necessarily vulnerable or at risk or frail or indeed are, are passive is, is not appropriate and it's incorrect and it isn't at all representative of that cohort who are very heterogeneous, of course, um, and the vast majority are fit and well and able and robust. Now, for some reason, and it's probably because comorbidities do rise with advancing age, yeah. um, there is... Uh, uh, a higher likelihood of more severe consequences of COVID-19 with, with age. Um, and, and this is the reason that cocooning has been introduced. Yeah. And I think I, rightly so. And, and I suppose as well, the other side too, I mean, we, when we look, for instance, at the figures that we have at the moment at the median age um, of you know, people that are being admitted to the intensive care units and the number of fatalities that we have, I, I would assume that that would all play a part in, in deciding on the age category. So... Absolutely. So, 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 it, 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 the, it, the age that's been introduced is what is what was most feasible to reduce the likelihood of the highest at-risk group from severe consequences of COVID-19 having those consequences. And there was no, there was no, um, there's no issue with respect to that. However, uh, we do know from, as I said, from the studies, particularly the Tilda study, which has informed this whole uh, debate uh, quite a lot that the vast majority of over 70s are fit and well, and particularly in that cohort, physical activity was walking. So cocooning is having a big impact on the physical activity that people can do within the confines of cocooning. Um, and th- and this, this, this is and will be an issue. So uh, that's, that's one of my concerns. And the other thing is we, we know that uh, in Ireland... In the wintertime particularly, anything up to 60% of people are deficient in vitamin D. And so coupling cocooning with a high likelihood of a deficiency in vitamin D, which does act on, in a positive way on the immune system, will also have probably a negative impact. But we can do something about vitamin D by taking supplements. And we have a report out on the prevalence of this vitamin D deficiency and on taking supplements, uh, which might help people who are listening. Um, And generally speaking, over the age of 50, certainly, uh, we should take supplements in the winter and springtime of between 400 and 800 international units. 
with respect to physical activity. It's terribly difficult to do that if you don't have a garden, but we really should try to take regular exercise even around the house during the day um, to, to keep muscles from deconditioning, which can happen very quickly. Um, can I ask you about the, just to, to remind people, Roseanne, of the, the TILDA report that you mentioned, because you said that that actually informed um, part of the, the discussion around the introduction of the cocooning measure. So uh, it, it, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, it, many, many different data sources were used to inform the 70 cutoff for cocooning, and it was particularly the mortality rates from COVID-19, so that wasn't related to TILDA. That, that informed it in other countries which had experienced it prior to ourselves. The TILDA report has actually, in the last couple of weeks, um, addressed the levels of frailty or pre-frailty or activity uh, in people over the age of 70 in Ireland. And it's from that that we know that the vast majority are fit and well. Yes, may have another comorbidity, and by comorbidity we mean a diagnosis. So hypertension, high blood pressure is very common as, as we get older. Um, at least 50% of people over the age of 60 have high blood pressure. Um, uh, diabetes, 12% of, of people have diabetes. Heart disease is less common, but is also a risk factor. Obesity, unfortunately, 65% of, of people over 50 are um, overweight or obese in Ireland, and obesity is certainly a, seems to be a risk factor for its more severe outcome, and as does smoking, and of course a history of chronic uh, uh, asthma or chronic uh, lung disease. So those comorbidities are more common as people get older, and it's, it's unusual not to have something wrong with you over the age of 70, actually. In, in the TILDA study, only 13% of people had not any other di- a diagnosis and were not taking any medications. So because of comorbidities and because of the patterns of a fatality associated with COVID, the cutoff of 70 was chosen. Okay. Um, what's your advice for people, Roseanne, I suppose, that are at home now during this period? I mean, at this stage, people are nearly a week into the cocooning process. So first of all, I, 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 I can't underscore enough the importance of physical activity because our mu- muscles do decondition very quickly. So that, that's really important, however difficult it is to try and think innovatively. And I did wonder, I mean, a, a number of people, um, older persons, uh, particularly in those over the age of 80, aren't very um, adept at social media. Per, uh, so maybe, uh, but they do have televisions. So I wondered if RTE putting... Uh, a program on in the afternoon which would instruct people on physical exercise pr- uh, that one can do in the house without necessarily having to go out and walk so that's the first thing physical activity and and maybe our media might might take that up uh, television the second the second is vitamin d as i've said and the third is social isolation um and and loneliness are not uncommon and they're more common actually in or urban settings than in rural settings. But now with cocooning, I think we're going right. to see a big increase in that. Yeah. And that's interesting because I think yeah. sometimes people might think it's the opposite. Yeah, no, rural communities seem to have better communities um, and it's actually more common in urban uh, uh, cities. So, for example, over the age of 50, 7% of people um, have lo- are, are significantly lonely. Um 
uh, in the Tilda study, whereas it was 11 in rural Ireland, whereas it was 11 percent in in Dublin city. So, so it's worth keeping that in mind and using all possible ways to communicate. You know, look through, look at somebody through the window, make plenty of telephone calls, etc. Whatever we can do to communicate, let there be nobody over the age of 70 who hasn't had a couple of phone calls per day to keep them engaged. That's really important. There are the three big things from from my perspective. And then I think it's, it is important from a societal perspective that we watch our language. We don't refer to people as elderly, as though the, there was a, a homogenous um, more, more, morphing that took place after someone reaches a certain age. Uh, that we don't use terminology like elderly, etc. So, uh, is, uh, is important. At what point? Uh, what, what? What do you classify the category for? Older as persons. I mean, older not persons, everybody. Okay. You know, we don't all age at the same rate. In yeah. fact, there's a really nice study which which has looked at uh, biological aging, and obviously chronological age. Chronological age is your number, and shown uh, they followed a cohort from birth through life, and shown that at when the, the uh, 1,000 people they were following were all aged 38, that there was a disparity in their biological aging, even at the age of 38, of up to 17 years. Right. So some people were 17 years older than age 38, when they, we can measure these things from cellular biology, Se- 17 years older than age 38, and some were 17 years younger than age 38. And the factors that influenced that biological aging were, you know, diet, smoking, stress, socioeconomic status. Those from poorer backgrounds were more likely to have more accelerated uh, biological aging, depression, mood changes, medications, etc. So uh, physical activity. So, um, so Biological aging, it would be great if we had a measure of biological age because that would give us a much truer representation of that risk. What we're trying to do is extrapolate using chronological age for risk because we don't actually have a solid enough measure as yet of biological aging. But the science is moving very quickly in this domain and we will soon mm. have a way of saying this is truly your biological age and therefore this is your risk. Okay. Can I ask you just um, as well, was just in terms of, you know, therapists that might be out there or listening to this that maybe are not currently working within their own private setting at the moment or maybe through the health service executive. I know a lot of people have been um, or are currently in the process of kind of being redeployed to other areas. But is there anything that people can do um, to kind of assist those at home? So, um, I mean, consistently bearing in mind cocooning, of course, um, and that's 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 why I'm saying. Well, social media is fantastic, and to engage with social media and and maybe exercise programs, get a group together of of people who are cocooning to to engage in exercise programs if that's their preferred choice. Um, I, I I I think it's difficult if people aren't good with social media and aren't active on social media. The part, the part, I'm talking about people who are cocooning. It's much more difficult for them. The telephone is, is a means of communication. Uh, another means of, as I said, is, 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 the, um, is media. 
and to to engage through media would be would be really really positive i think for this period of time. I think for people as well, um, you know, being conscious and minding your mental health at a time like this too is very important. So, of course, with social isolation and loneliness comes depression. They're, they go hand in glove. And um, it's terribly important that that doesn't happen because then with that is the further consequence of poorer health. And that depression has a big knock-on effect on our our ability to respond, actually, to to uh, infection, etc., it, it it changes our immune response, as does loneliness. So, so from the point of view of being as robust as possible in the context of COVID, it's very important that mood stay, stays elevated. So, neighbours, uh, community people, um, family who are listening, just double your efforts to keep in contact. We we can't be in contact enough with those who are cocooning at the moment. And variety is terribly important. So for, for those listening, I would say try and introduce variety into your day so that the day isn't samey. Same, t- same thing, day in, day out. That is not good for mood. And it's also uh, poor for brain health generally. So, so if, if you can introduce variety that will make a difference you know mm-hmm. sit down and make out a program of things that are that are um, that are different that you can do on different days and maybe take up a challenge something you haven't done before yeah okay we'll leave it there for the moment professor Roseanne Kenny who's the uh, head of medical agronatology at Trinity College Dublin and also the principal investigator for Tilda and um, the Irish study on aging my thanks to you for joining us here on the program today I'm afraid that's all we have time for if you've missed any of the program you can download the podcast on our website on newstalk.com or on the go Loud app my thanks to the production team Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan I'll be back again with breakfast briefing on Monday morning from six and with between the lines this time next week but for me and Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.